Welcome to Much to Discuss, a weekly conversation between extraordinaire editor-in-chief Callie O'Shea and Steph Swan, that's me. We tackle the culture, content, news and topics we're absorbing this week. A little caveat before we dive into today's episode. Some of this recording was done last week and some of this recording was done this week in case you hear some confusing date references. Between weddings and moving trucks in both the U.S. and in Europe, as you'll hear, Steph and my schedules have been a little bit tight. Thanks for cutting us some slack and thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Steph. Hi. I miss Long you. Time no see. I miss you too. You've up and left. I have. I've left New York. I couldn't bear to be there when <laughs> you and Sub leave for real. So I had to leave like three weeks in advance. I yeah. love that for you. Well, why don't you tell our listeners where you are? Or are you trying to lean into a mysterious side? That would be fun. But I am in Paris for the summer, which came together from two of my other friends. We were just talking about things that we always wished that we would do, but never have. Things that have always been on your bucket list. And so the trip came together literally in one day. And we all found one bedroom slash studios that we're working in separately. So I pretty much have the mornings to myself through the early afternoon. And then I work for the rest of the day. So we're living through Kelly in Paris. Who's Emily in Paris? We have... I'm in the same arrondissement as she was in in the show. So Sorry, I should never do that again. I'm so bad at foreign language. Just leave me out of it. It's, yeah, it's been a ride. I just, I'm having the best time. I did also kind of want to throw you under the bus. Do you remember your first message to me upon arriving in Paris around your first night? No. No. Or any bells? No, rightfully so. Kelly looks like, you know, like when a dog has like accidentally like eaten the pillow and is like looking at you like nervously. That's what Kelly looks like on the other side of this call. To tease it in your memory, it had a little bit to do with McDonald's and maybe something (laughs) else similar to a French kiss, if you will. Yeah, it's ringing a slight bell now. I mean, within 24 hours, I had to go to a McDonald's, obviously. It just like, right. makes the most sense. I felt like that was very like, Passport to Paris-esque. Did you watch it with the Olsen? No. Thing? What does that mean? Were you not into Mary-Kate and Ashley growing up? I mean, they were cute, but I don't think I really watched... I watched them like New York Minute. Oh, wow. Okay, well, I watched every single Mary-Kate and Ashley movie, TV show content that was ever released, and they did Passport to Paris. And in it, they meet two young French teens, and they don't like any of the French food. They, like, almost throw up at snails. And then the French boys bring them to McDonald's, and they eat McDonald's burgers, and that's what I wanted to replicate in my Parisian adventure. Love that for you. I hate snails, so. (laughs) How is New York? I I left. What are you doing? You're gone, and I've sat in a dark room since. Good. <laughs> I've had no fun <laughs> at all. Right. I do miss you, but I will say, thank goodness, another friend came to town for the weekend, and she's just a gem. You guys met. We keep introducing people that then have to do long distance, I guess, so they have to rely on this podcast from now on. That's the strategy. Actually, it was quite funny because we did a picnic, and so many of our friends, Cal, have walked up being like, I listened. And oh, I love I that was, so much. As with my typical reactions, I was like, what didn't you like about it? Yeah. And then I was like, in FYI, I will be asking for critical feedback and Kelly will be asking you to get a tattoo and swear your life's allegiance <laughs> to this podcast. That is very true. But yeah, friends told us they listened, seemed to find it entertaining, which I guess is the point. And they said they learned things, which is lovely. 
So that's going on. Cute shout out to, you know, mums that are sharing it with family members and what have you. And I guess I apologize in advance because I do sometimes swear, but (laughs) I do that in person too. So it's not a huge departure of who I am. That's great. But yeah, what am I doing? One of my best friends got engaged. And so that was magical. She and her partner are just bliss. They are so happy. They make one another so happy. They're the best versions of themselves. I also went to a magic show (gasps) with my husband. Oh my God, that's so painful for me and so exciting for you. Tell me everything. (laughs) Well, the funny part is it was a lovely gift from friends of ours. And it was really in this like very old school marble hotel. It was a cocktail dress code. I wore heels and as Seb and I are like trotting up in Midtown, I I said to him, I was like, oh, I've never worn heels in this part of town. No more than two blocks later, am I like, my heel feels funny. And I like lift it up and it's snapped. And I was like, okay, hopefully it doesn't come off. A street before we get to the hotel, it just detaches. So I am hobbling into this magic show. (laughs) (laughs) It's me. So I just walked up to them and I was like, do you guys happen to have super glue? Because this is my heel in my hand. (laughs) They were like, oh. (laughs) And then they were going to call the engineer from the building. Stop. And I was like, it's really not necessary. We're sitting for most of the show. And we were in the very front row. So I tucked my little foot under me the whole night. But that aside, the show itself was pretty incredible. I don't understand how any of that happened. I feel like after every trick, you'd be like, how'd you do it? Yeah, that was pretty much. He was like, any questions? And I was like, yeah what tell me understand how <laughs> what the hell is going on i asked seb this morning and i'm gonna ask you this do you think so it's an emergency situation of course do you think you could land a commercial airplane no i really don't i yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was honestly most surprised at the pause because <laughs> Every time we've talked about an apocalypse or survival, you have immediately said you're done for. So I'm, I was, I think we need to leave the pause in just to know you might have to shorten it because, like, listening quality people really long dead air. But Kelly paused for maybe five seconds to consider. So Seb's response to was absolutely not. I was like, I, yeah. I think so. Pretty much planes fly themselves. Hopefully I can get onto air traffic control. They could walk me through it. And I'm good under pressure. So like if anyone's going to have to step up, if there's not a pilot, then fine, I'll give it a whirl. What is funny about that is what prompted me asking that question was a social media meme where it was like, I truly believe that being a man is thinking you could land a commercial airplane with absolutely no training, with only the assistance of air traffic control. And then this person on social media had asked text like five different male friends who all said some version of like, yeah, I think I could. And then text like two females who were like, um, absolutely not. I would just scream and cry. Like, no way. <laughs> not at all. Well, I guess enough about us. Fine. You know, the people can tell us if they want more. And as always, we're going to head to Pop Culture Next. So this is really your segment when you tell me what's been going on in the pop culture world and I'll react. All right. So the first thing that I have for you, first of all, are you an awards show watcher? Absolutely not. Like ever? Not even Oscars or anything? I don't think I could find anything more boring. No. So this is going to be maybe your nightmare because you are not a fan of musicals either (laughs) or plays. I don't think. I like Things that have like a really good story. But for example, La La Land, I turned it off within two minutes of it starting because it was 
a form of torture. Yeah. And like that still was a movie. Like that wouldn't have been nominated for the Tonys because it wasn't live. <laughs> oh, okay. So Tony is like Broadway. This is a throwback to Little Bo Peep off Broadway production. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I was nominated a long time ago and in a very sad loss. It ended up falling through, but the nomination will stay on my wall. Forever be close to your heart. Okay, so the Tony Awards. Like, I like Book of Mormon. I thought, why am I blanking? Moulin Rouge was amazing. Good. I have some tolerance for it. Okay. And I also saw a Broadway show that I liked (laughs) when I came back to New York. I'll have to. It's with Oscar Isaac Mm. and Rachel Bronson. Oh, yeah. That was good. Okay. Well, the Tony Awards happened earlier this week, despite being unscripted due to the writer's strike continuing, which they called out right at the start. Ariana DeBose was hosting. You would have to. You'd be like, so I don't have the help of funny people around me. This is just me. Yeah. It was like a tasteful call out to the writers. and They typically do a original number to open the Tony Awards. And this year, instead of that, they paid tribute with songs that already existed, which was still delightful to watch, but you still miss, you know. All okay, the little razzle-dazzle of the We're nothing stuff. in society without our writers. True. Notable takeaways from this. Okay, so Alex Newell, who was in Glee and then also sang the song Kill the Lights, which I don't think that's what he's really best known for, but I just love that song, so I feel like I have to call it out. Alex Newell and Jay Harrison Gee made history on Sunday night as the first openly non-binary actors to win Tony Awards, which was a really exciting update. I love that. So I guess the Tony Awards don't have the categories. Is it the Oscars that do like the male and female, like very binary categories? I guess Tony Awards lends itself better to diversity. Wait, that's such a good point. I have no idea how they ended up doing it because I I actually think typically it was best female and best male. I'm very here for let's throw that stuff in the bin. And I love that non-binary actors have won major awards. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yay. Very exciting. Positive news in the world. Yeah. Heartwarming news. This is a pop culture update that I want to clap at. Yay. Yay. <laughs> and then the other notable piece was just that Kimberly Akimbo took home the crown. So didn't know there was a crown, but yay. <laughs> Are you ready for my next story? Yeah, we can leave the award shows alone. Okay. This is actually another, I think, piece of positive-ish news. Paul McCartney was able to use AI to separate out and clean up John Lennon's voice on an old recording from the Beatles for an upcoming record that he referred to as the last Beatles record that will be released this year. I'm sure that's going to make a lot of fans happy. That's a cool utility of AI. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I did hear another positive one, like in the medical field, in terms of AI helping with prescriptions, creating like a genetic clone of you to better understand how you take measures today for like wellness to prevent any illnesses you may be more predisposed to down the line. Wow. But I guess we can cover that in content at different times. We're steer clear of AI a little bit. Okay, love it. Are you a Beatles fan? I am a Beatles fan. Stop. I love the Beatles. So in primary school, for the you know how there's the first and second bell? First bell is drop what you're doing and get to your classroom. My primary school would play Beatles songs. So the music would start and we'd all just totter to class kind of dancing. And it wasn't the full song. I guess they would have picked the chorus. Yeah. So I know Beatles quite well. And anytime it plays, I feel like I have to be somewhere. <laughs> you might like this record then because since it's a new song, maybe you won't feel like you have to get somewhere. You'll just enjoy it for the music. Maybe. 
Yeah. Okay. We like that. More Beatles coming up. What else do you have for me? My last story for you is that SpaceX has hired a 14-year-old who became the youngest graduate at California University to work in their Starlink division, which is satellite internet. Wow. Yeah. His family said that they knew he was a genius because he was like speaking in full sentences at two years old and was reading like absurd literature by the time that he was in kindergarten. And he said that once he started attending community college classes in like I think it was junior high, but it was somewhere in his primary education that he started going to a local community college. And he was like, I finally feel like I'm being challenged educationally at the level that I'm supposed to. I mean, I feel for him because he would have to have sat next to me in a classroom using there, there and there wrong. You know, so I'm glad he's where he's meant to be. That's incredible. Hopefully he feels like he has like-minded people around him because I can imagine that's a really lonely life. Yeah, I'm also like maybe intellectually he is a genius and well beyond the grips of someone that's 14 years old. But emotionally, I feel like he still has to be a 14-year-old. So I'm like, I hope that he's making friends and having an active social life and isn't just overcome by SpaceX I've made this argument a few times. I think you can be too smart. And especially in these times where there are so many things going on that are incredibly overwhelming, he would understand all of it and the magnitude of all of it. 14, SpaceX, he obviously is a genius. And, you know, hopefully he's doing whatever he does that he found his joy in. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know what that looks like for a 14-year-old genius. Me neither. Him and his mom, of course, like he has to still live with his parents. Him and his mom are moving up. Wait, isn't in Australia, I think you have to, oh, it's 14 years and nine months old is the age you have to be to be allowed to work. I wonder if he's so random. Legally allowed to work. That could be the wrong age. It's been a while since I was that age. Maybe it's 13 and nine months. I can't remember. No, but I guess it's the and nine months. That's the weird part. Like it's not, it's not that it was 14. Like why do they say 14 and nine months? Why isn't it? Why don't they just round up to 15? I guess they're like, get those little things to work. Yo, That's true. No, I have no idea. I could be wrong too. So we, this is probably why my mom suggested we have a fact check segment, but true. Yeah, everybody, please, please correct us over time. Yeah. Um, we welcome it. We really do. Yeah. Kelly will be putting it on our social media. Definitely. <laughs> the corrections. Yeah. Okay. We've wandered quite far away from our SpaceX friend. We have. We, have but we hope he's happy out there. there. We do. And good on him. That's it. We're done. I'm educated, up to date. Woo! I'm very woo yay today, I think. is I love energy. that. We're energized because we're seeing each other, I think. That's true. Yeah. We feed on one another. So we got some feedback that we should flip into the deeper news topics before we then give you some content recommendations. And that's fair. News typically isn't lovely to hear, though it is important to hear. Is that fair, Cal? It is fair. And you have a really wonderful way, I think, of describing what's happening and asking the right questions so that we can kind of understand what's important, what's relevant, what's happening in the world that we should kind of start to pay attention to based on what we're talking about. So that's really what this segment's about. And that's why I leave it to you. I can just find out what's happening in the world. That's great. And I will refer you to pretty much journalists because they are who we rely on to be up to speed on everything important. So newsworthy topics this week. Topic one, unfortunately, We cannot miss or ignore the number of headlines in regards to the former host of The Apprentice, Donald J. Trump. (laughs) I couldn't not. Good intro. Very good. Also, former president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. 
I will say one headline that made me giggle that I saw, because there are in the 20 headlines right now on any publication you look at related to this man, one that made me giggle was Donald Trump's 2024 campaign calendar now includes not only key caucuses and primaries, but court dates. <laughs> and I was like, that's so petty and I'm here for it. It's so petty and it's true. Facts. Nothing but facts. And we started off with some levity because the impact of Donald J. Trump is unfortunately really not a laughing matter. There are, you know, real world ramifications of this guy being platformed and having been the president of the United States. And so there really isn't just one headline. So I'm kind of going to walk you through the dossier of headlines. We'll link it in the show notes to really try and contextualize what is going on beyond just the fact that there is an upcoming election and he's announced himself as someone who wants to run to become the Republican nominee for president. So the first one is that Trump is arraigned on documents and obstruction charges. So this is written by three journalists from the New York Times. And really the context here is that Donald Trump, now a twice impeached president, is now twice indicted since leaving the White House. He surrendered to federal authorities in Miami on Tuesday and was arraigned on charges that he put national security secrets at risk and obstructed investigators. So... That's quite heavy. Not it's good. not typical, really, that former presidents are being indicted. Cal, do you know how many charges were brought against Trump in the latest indictment? Oh, this God. is not the New York indictment. This is the Miami. I have no idea, so I'll guess 30. You're a great guesser. I will say we should just take you on a game show. Maybe we'll put you on, like, The Price is Right. I would love that. I love a game show. Continue. <laughs> so that aside, he was charged with 37 criminal counts covering seven different violations of federal law alone and in conjunction with Mr. Nasu, another person wrapped up in this court case. He was charged with 31 counts of willfully retaining national defense information under the Espionage Act and a charge of conspiracy to obstruct justice, withholding documents, concealing records, etc. all detailed in this New York Times article. So I would say give that a read, but that's you know, the outtakes. Where I wanted to take us to next is another article by David Leonhardt. This is titled, A Simple Test, What If Donald Trump Was Someone Else? Hmm. So really what this article tries to outline is like precedent. This article goes into detail of three recent cases that are among dozens that the Justice Department has charged people with in regards to removing classified information from its proper place and tried to conceal their actions. And the reason this one is quite interesting is because this journalist really tries to outline, you know, what is the role here of charging the former president and how can you think about it? And how do we kind of understand this as society? And so really, this is straight out of his article. He encourages us to start by thinking about all other people who are engaged in similar behavior for that, which the ex-president was charged with a crime for. And if just one of those other people were charged, the ex-president should be too. And the point is that prosecutors do have quite a lot of discretion around which cases they bring, and they should err on the side of not indicting a former president because of the political turmoil that it's caused. However, his argument is that if you would charge any ordinary citizen, no former president should be above the law. And so I think that's a really good one to kind of roll around in your head. Are there any thoughts or feelings coming up for you, Cal, as you hear me talk about this one in particular? Yeah, I think I am just so blown away that this is happening with someone that represents the United States of America or previously has represented 
the United States of America. This especially just feels heavy. And I just am kind of how is Donald Trump in any position where he can rerun to be the president of the United States again? And I also am just so confused. Like, is he actually going to get arrested? Yeah, I mean, like, he had to to I mean, I think he had to post bail and what have you. I mean, he's not being locked up and detained. He's still on his presidential campaign, which is a kind of jarring reality, right? It defuncts how you would think someone facing these serious charges should operate. And that's pretty standard of Donald Trump. And I think for me, really, I worry how divisive this becomes because it stokes the rhetoric that you cannot trust the systems in place. So it's kind of giving people some ammunition they think they want for like a witch hunt. And when I say systems in place, I mean, you know, the judicial system, the government, and that has really scary implications for democracy. Mm. You know, if we, if America as a society stops believing that the judicial system is fair and just and that the government is corrupt, democracy is incredibly threatened at that stage. And so I think that's why this one's a good one to hear and listen to so you can be also better informed about the precedent and other people who have been charged for, you know, behavior similar to Donald Trump. And it hopefully takes biases out of the conversation because you have real evidence and, again, precedent for this kind of thing. And then finally... There's an opinion piece related to Donald Trump by Thomas L. Friedman. He's an opinion columnist for the New York Times. And he writes about how Trump thrives in a broken system and that he'll break the system soon. That's essentially what he's saying. Mm -hmm. The article opens with like what people could have said and could have done to really stop Trump becoming who he is and everything that he has done to break America's political system. And he says something interesting about Donald Trump. Friedman says, Trump's type of leadership ends up eroding the two most important pillars of our democratic system, the belief in the independence of our judiciary that ensures no one is above the law and the belief that our ability to transfer power peacefully and legitimately. That kind of goes to, I guess, the points I made earlier around the real threats in society. I think people believe Donald Trump poses heavy stuff. You look blank. How are you feeling as you take this in? I mean, you're an American citizen. This is the only country you're a citizen of, right? So it's truly home. I think it's just really hard to picture our society operating in a different way, good or bad, ideal or detrimental and different from what we're living in today. And so obviously I've been shook every step of the way with Donald Trump. I think that the next election cycle just gives me a lot of anxiety just across the board to think that his impact could have even more ripple effects. I think that a lot of the time I I just like to think for my own sanity, like once he goes away, the problem goes away. And I think it's a lot deeper and more multifaceted than that. And and I don't know what the answer is. Right. And to your point around like it's bigger than him, meaning Trump. Now, Freeman makes the point in his article that Trump has almost redefined the qualities of a leader. And at least as a GOP leader, and it's not someone like Liz Cheney or Mitt Romney, Romney, people prepared to risk their careers to defend the truth, to serve the country, to uphold the constitution. And these are Friedman's words. That part of his article came forward in my mind as you were talking because I think it goes to that. It's He's really turning things on their head and things we held to be certain true foundations of what someone in leadership should look like in a free country, in a democracy. Trump has defied a lot of those foundational elements. And so that is scary. 
And it makes me think back to something I heard around weaponized belonging. Mm. And there's a really good article in The New Yorker that really goes further into that, what is weaponized belonging? And they really talk about how it's Trump has initiated radical renegotiation of what it means to belong to this country. And I personally came back to how, you know, I think people understanding those that are supporters of Trump are because they felt like someone cared about them and made them feel seen and heard. And it reminds me that more than ever, we need a message of unity to help get us back to kind of the democratic society we have benefited from in countries like Australia in America, because I think that what is happening in the United States is a real and true warning. And you see changes in kind of political compositions through Europe and other developed countries. So yeah, how we use the things that Trump has stoked in people, meaning making them feel like seen and heard if they feel marginalized, whether rightly or wrongly, and turning that for good. You know, how do we use this as abundant opportunity to take back that narrative and, you know, harness those feelings people have, but deploy it toward a leader and a platform that stands for fairness, truth, et cetera, and not yeah. someone like Trump who just stands for himself. Yeah. So yeah, there's we'll link these three different articles in the show notes, as well as the New Yorker piece on weaponized belonging. That's news topic number one. Moving away from bestie Donald Trump, obviously used in a very hyperbolic fashion. Extremely. Hyperbolic, even the right word there. I don't know. I honestly don't know what a hyperbole is. Let's look it up. Hyperbolic. I also pronounce it now like I'm American. Burry. Exaggerated. So it's not true because he's not our bestie. So Cal, topic number two for you, moving on from Satan. No. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from Donald Trump is the headline reads allies pressure Biden to hasten NATO membership for Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Does that mean anything to you? Off its face? So this is a New York Times article written by David Sanger and Stephen Erlanger. Probably mispronounced every person's name I say on here. And that's going to be a caveat that will hold to the end. I'm just maybe dyslexic. So (laughs) we can maybe give me a pass there. But really it's around how there's been talks around unity on Ukraine and bringing Ukraine into NATO. This article does a really good job kind of laying out like where the pressures are coming from and also where the hesitancy is. So NATO was something I'd really only ever known from like movies and pop culture. What's your knowledge of NATO? No, I was actually going to say I completely agree. I don't even know what NATO stands for. It stands for the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Okay, that's helpful. That might have been dumb for me to admit, but I'm just like... No, I feel like not many people... Like, who um, works for NATO? There are 31 members of NATO. So Hmm. there are member countries, and really it says NATO membership is open to any European state in a position to further the principles of this treaty and contribute to the security of the North Atlantic area. So it's like a political and military alliance to bolster security in the daily lives of our well-being, which is... I'm reading that part from their website. NATO's purpose is to guarantee the freedom and security of its members through political and military means. Really, it's kind of a very, very strong alliance, and that speaks to some of the hesitancy. So if Ukraine were to join, it's believed that it would mean that all the countries that are members of NATO would then be in direct war with Russia, and it could escalate. Oh, wow. A lot of complexity to this in terms of, like, 
what the decision will be and how it'll ultimately come to pass. But the belief is that until there's some kind of resolution with the war between Russia and Ukraine, well, it's really you, Russia's war on Ukraine. Mm-hmm. That's probably a fairer representation of that awful situation. Yeah. That is happening in the world. So, yeah, he's been cautious, as in Mr. Biden has been cautious about getting NATO in a direct fight with Moscow. That was interesting to me. Also, in my head, I was like, is Australia a NATO member? Because, like, North Atlantic sounds far away. Do you yeah. know that? No. It's not. So, <laughs> little old Australia is just sitting pretty in the Asian Pacific. But, yeah. That's going on in the backgrounds. For anyone curious, read up on it. It also talks about how they want to avoid a World War Three, And so this is the delicate balance happening on the periphery of this discussion. And this article is written by people who are really experts in this space. So that is why I'm recommending it. This was very net new to me. Did that pique your interest at all? How did that land? It does. I do think it's, I don't really think that often about the diplomacy drama between countries and that's an interesting one global alliances are just fascinating and it obviously impacts our trade and a ton of other things so it's like even though biden might want to show support towards ukraine and let them into the club if you will if nato is a club i didn't think about the fact that it could have just so many more impacts probably on our economy food supply yeah yeah there's huge ripple effects and i think we're going to start to see more and more riding around how globalization is more highly complex in these times. Yeah. Uh, We will link that article in our show notes. I look forward to reading more about it and getting more up to speed in kind of the interdependencies of diplomacy because I think I don't have a great grasp on that. So I definitely want to learn more and have more informed opinions to bring to our friends, i.e. our listeners, you know, our, you know, mum, dad, both, (laughs) husbands, and a few friends that are listening. That's what I have for you in kind of deep news. And we're going to move on to what we've been consuming this week. Just to keep reminding us as much as our listeners, it is any articles, shows, movies, and podcasts that we've been taking in. So I'm going to let you kick this off, Cal. What do you have for me? I have a very interesting show for you that I think that you'll be very into because it's kind of culty and very American. Yeah, you've already hit the nail on the head. True crime, cult, documentary, anything of that realm, I'm all ears. Do you remember, and I'm actually so curious if you watched this at all in Australia or if it took hold there, did you ever watch the show 19 Kids and Counting or did you ever hear about the Duggar family? No, and I'm glad to speak on behalf of Australia on this too. I don't think we as Australia did either. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I did it. <laughs> um, is it. It's a show. It was a show. I think it ran until 2015. So it went many seasons and they it started as like a one hour documentary about this family that had 16 children. They are all natural born children of oh. Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar. Oh, my yeah she having litters of them at at a time or how's there were there were some sets of twins but the two of them met obviously when they were pretty young and they started having kids and then they had a moment they're very religious they're part of the iblp which stands for the institute and basic life principles which is is that like evangelical Yes, it is evangelical, Baptist beliefs, very old school gender roles, religious forward homeschooling. And yeah, and goes off the belief of have as many children as God allows. Imagine being pregnant. I've never been pregnant. Imagine 19 times. Yeah. 
the show was crazy at the time. Reality TV in America in the early 2000s into the 2010s was all kind of this shock factor. You had the My 500 Pound Life, My Strange Addiction. It was all of these kind of wacky concepts. And the Duggar family very much fell into that concept. Every act that they did, they talk about it in the show, but they're like doing laundry was interesting to people. How do you do laundry a day? That is crazy. So wait, why are they back on the radar? Are you just going back and watching this again? No, no, no. So this is where this show comes in. So Shiny Happy People came out and it's called Shiny Happy People Duggar Family Secrets. It was released on Amazon Prime very recently. What happened while they were on the show, but it also dives into the IBLP on a larger scale, the Institute of Basic Life Principles. And it goes into their life as well, because Josh Duggar, the eldest son of the Duggar family, it was in 2021, Josh was arrested on child pornography charges and is expected to be in prison until 2032. And in 2015, news had broken that he had molested some of his siblings. So the news came out first that he molested some of his siblings, then later came out that he was arrested on child pornography charges. Oh, no, I don't love these kind of secrets. This is terrible. There's one daughter in the family who's been pretty public, Jill Duggar, and she is pretty heavily featured in the show. Okay. Talking about the family and their dynamic. And then there are also ex-members of the IBLP that speak. And to say that it is a fascinating glimpse into this culture is an understatement. I can't look away. And a quote that stood out to me from the first episode was, and this I think represents the IBLP, they said they turned every father into a cult leader and franchised spiritual, physical, and emotional abuse. It's patriarchal, authoritarian, women don't have rights, and it breaks children. Oh, geez. And this is just where... My mind goes to how humans ruin religion in terms of how it serves people for their lives. You know, them being moral, having values, you know, how you behave is a great thing. And then there's the institution that sits with it that can get disrupted by those who are in positions of power there. You watch any of the documentaries about extreme religions and cults and what have you, and it always comes back to people in positions of power who then manipulate the system and the pure ideology of said belief and misuse and abuse it. And I hate anything that represses female rights and treats them as really just like an incubator for children. Yeah. This is awful. And wait, so everyone was just watching this show, laughing at 19 kids for all these years, and now we're learning about the underbelly of it all. You're seeing glimpses of the show in this documentary, but more so it's diving into the full beast of IBLP. And it is expertly done. They've just really focused in on, I think, the right things. They've chosen the right flashbacks to really bring you through the story of what was being shown on TV, what was happening in the background, how this influenced people at the time. I love anything that is told well, right? Like people who put some of the the content we watch in our lives together so, so well. Definitely tuning in for this one. Well, tell me what you're consuming right now. I think you're going to like this one. This one is a podcast. It's called The Big Secret to Female Friendships. It's on No Filter, which is a Mamma Mia podcast. That's an Australian, I think it's the number one media organization in Australia, and it's a female-led, owned, kind of operated side shout out to all those pieces too. And I didn't pull that from their website. I'm sure they articulate it 
better and differently than I did. But that is at least my feeling when I listen. Just a lot of smart women with a lot of cool perspectives. What I really liked about how they talked about it. So there were kind of three experts that they chatted to who are really focusing on friendship. They were there to kind of promote the workshops that they have been doing. But the thing that the host, Mia Friedman, kind of when she was introing on it, really underscored the criticality of relationships and friendships in people's lives, how it's the best thing you can do for your health. And that in the culture, we really emphasize everything on romantic relationships. She used the words, it pulls so much focus and that friendships are equally pivotal for life, health and happiness. And we don't breathe as much air into that in general in society. And I totally agree with that. And I subscribe to this 100%. So it was just fun to listen to people talking about friendships. And I think this goes beyond women, female. I think this applies to male as well. I think everyone obviously benefits from deep, connective relationships. They talked about times in their life when they've had tricky friendships and it got me thinking about my own, but I wonder what's coming up for you as I'm sitting here blabbering on about friendship. I love the idea of this. I'm so excited to listen to it. And I think it's conversations that you and I have had as well, that you have your romantic relationship and that's obviously a huge priority in your life. You have your relationships with family that are going to continue to be high priority as well. But I think that the more support systems you have in place and the deeper those support systems are, the better. And I know I found, and as you know, from being one of these best friendships in my life, that my deep female friendships have been some of the most fulfilling and supportive relationships that I have had and will ever have and have just empowered me to do better and more with my life. And I think it's added so much confidence and action and enablement in my life that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah, I would love to listen to this and dive deeper in. I couldn't agree more in terms of all the points you made in, for me, it makes life worth living. And I consider my family relationships, friendships as well. They're the ones that are standouts for me. Yes, you obviously have those born relationships with family, but it's what you cultivate thereafter. As you were talking, I was smirking to myself because in my head I wanted to shout out, yeah, I wish I could get the government involved because I would sign on the dotted line (laughs) for our friendship. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. I'm like, I'm in it for good. Like sign on the dotted line. I have so like such deep friendships with people and I'm like, you're with me. Whether you like it or not, it's kind of a till death do us part. Yeah. So interesting you talking though, too, because I always use you and your husband as an example of people that are married who have a continuing really good focus, I think, on how important friendships are and how core they are to your life and your marriage. You just tend to tie them in. Obviously, Seb is also one of my best friends, naturally. Yeah. But I really have learned, in at least in my experience, that everyone has such different things to offer and diversity of people you surround yourself with just makes me so happy hearing different perspectives, how people's brains work. You look at most of my close friends and their strengths are probably my biggest weaknesses, uh, if not all the time. And hopefully I fill in some gaps where they may have weaknesses and I have strengths. That is like a beautiful part of having different people around you and people that are going to disagree with you who open your mind to different experiences and I say all of that because 
I've never thought of finding my husband. He's going to be everything to me all at once. That obviously is a critical relationship that I feel so lucky to have, the the relationship with Seb. But my relationship with my friends is equally important to me. Was there any big learnings or takeaways that you felt like you had from it? It made me feel really reflective. There's definitely been times in my life where friendships have been tricky. It made me think back to one particular friend who I was really close to in my mid to early 20s. And we had a falling out. I definitely, looking back, didn't manage that well in terms of I didn't really know how to communicate the most effective way. That being said, I think that was a really important friendship for that season of our lives. And I don't know that we'd be in a different place even if either of us had handled it differently. But, you know, it's always interesting to reflect on those things. And I think the other thing it made me think about friendships are not a hierarchy, which I really love that sentiment too. The concept of ever picking bridesmaids makes my skin crawl because I'm like, I have no idea how I would do that. There are these people that sit out there in my life who are just so, 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 so critical to me. Words can't even properly describe it. There's not the who you speak to the most, who you see the most, who you do this with, the nature of relationships can be really deep and what it looks like in actuality can be so different. So it talked about that, which I really like because I think when we grow up, we had top friends. We have, there's all these things that society tries to do to force you to pick. And then the final one I made me walk away thinking about is it talked about the role of advice and when there's unsolicited advice in a friendship. And I'm definitely guilty of that. And especially when friends have come to me on a topic before and I've given them the advice and then they haven't implemented that advice and then they come back for the same advice. (laughs) And I think you and I have had a specific situation where we've struggled with this. Oh, a hundred percent. I was just going to say, you probably can think of an example with me, but I also was going to say that I, if you've ever given me unsolicited advice, I actually value that in our relationship because I also think that you need friendships where you know that friend's going to tell you things that you don't want to hear. And in a kind way, you will always be honest. Yes. I was like, I'm definitely the person that people look to. And if I'm in a group and like there's something going on, more often than not, it's, yes, Steph, so when are you going to say something? (laughs) When are you going to approach And they kind of just unpacked it on the pot a little bit and said, put words around it. That was my takeaway. Even let's say you and I are in that situation again. It's literally me being like, Kel, I'm feeling frustrated. I feel like I've talked about this 10 times. And if you need me to just listen and feel empathy for you, then let's just do that. And let's, if you don't actually want to implement change, then let's just say that. And I think there's so much power in just saying it because then you're like, I'm not frustrated anymore. You're actually getting what you need in the situation. And then everyone's kind of happier versus staying on that cycle and maybe it becoming a point of tension. So that was a good takeaway for me to remember too. First of all, only give advice when asked. And second of all, if someone is coming around and around and you feel like you're getting frustrated because they are presenting the similar challenges and doing the same actions that are leading to the same challenges, just talk about it in a kind, non-judgmental way, of course, but communication is key on all these things. So that's a rec I'm going to throw out there because I think it is great for both sexes and everybody benefits from a tight-knit community in their life. I actually do have a surprise content recommendation for you. It's not as much a surprise as it's become my personality and obsession, and it's an app. So I guess we're adding that into the descriptor. So I downloaded this app called Open Wardrobe. And as everyone knows, because it comes up every five seconds on our podcast, I'm making a move and we're traveling ahead of time. Open Wardrobe lets you add all your items of your clothing 
you can then create your own outfits and start to log and record when you wear them. You can plan outfits for the future. You can like say, I wore this yesterday. It will then over time start calculating like a cost per wear per garment. You can really start to get a sense of what are the things you keep gravitating toward? Where do you have holes in your wardrobe? What is it looking like? And it is so helpful. I'm obsessed. You need to download it. Friends can also style you. We'll we'll put a link in the show notes to the app. But Kelly, I'm not even kidding. You need this. So that's a app recommendation. Do you have anything else you, you're going to put forward? My last piece of content for you, just another book recommendation. Do you know of Rick Rubin? Have you oh, heard yes, about Seb's him? I've been talking about him recently. Isn't He's in the music industry, right? Yes. Very good. Originally, I thought he was a motivational speaker. You know, those people that... Like, yes, there was like a really... Fa- Tony Robbins. Yes, that's literally who this is in my head. Like Rick Rubin, Tony Robbins. I don't know why, but they seem the same to me. Yeah, it's so wrong. I want you to Google a picture of Rick Rubin right now and see okay. who comes up. Oh my God, he looks like Santa Claus. But Rick Rubin is a record executive and producer. He co-founded Def Jam Records and has a wild list of musicians he's worked with. It's like... Red Hot Chili Peppers, Weezer, Johnny Cash, BC Boys, Run DMC, LL Cool J, Justin Timberlake. Like the list goes on and on for forever. Right. He's worked with everyone. You've heard, you, you know, the song 99 Problems. Yeah. You know how the beginning is acapella? Like it, no oh. music. Like it starts and there's like, is it, he just says the first phrase and then I'm hearing drops. like drum beats and stuff. Acapella makes me think of like Pitch Perfect. Oh, okay. The first verse. Like a musical is, intro. The, like, the, yeah, okay. Wait, no. First verse is no music. Wait, what? I got 99 problems with a bitch ain't one. And then it drops. Oh, as in Alcapella is just singing without music. Yeah. Oh, okay, sure. Okay. Yeah. Rick Rubin is the one. Beatboxing in my head. Beatboxing is like. <laughs> That's literally what I was thinking. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rick Rubin is the one that suggested starting the song 99 Problems Acapella. So like that gives you a glimpse into some of his genius, but he's been everywhere recently. A lot of it is because he just came out with a book. It's called The Creative Act, A Way of Being. And I read the book and then I watched him on 60 Minutes with Anderson Cooper and both the book and the 60 Minutes. I love the part that I really liked about him that I think you would really love about him. The big key is knowing yourself, being okay with yourself and being comfortable and confident to say what you think he's like you like what you like it's so obvious in a way like just tune into that and let yourself be drawn to the things that you're interested in doing that's cool yeah so i I really love that in an age where i feel like we're influenced so much by like all these these externalities we consume it's really cool to think about like hold on a minute like what do i like not just because i'm seeing it on billboards or on the influences or my friends like it like That's really cool. But he's obviously a musical prodigy, no? Anderson Cooper was asking him what kind of music he was familiar with. He said that he barely knows how to play an instrument. Wait, Yeah, and he also doesn't know how to use a soundboard. And he said he knows nothing about music. And when Anderson Cooper said, you must know something, he responded saying, I know what I like and what I don't like. And I'm decisive about what I like and what I don't like. And then he went on to say, the confidence that I have in my taste and my ability to express what I feel has proven helpful for artists. That is epic. I'm so here for that. I'm definitely going to read his book. We come back to this. Maybe that's just like we should rebrand our podcast confidence. 
as I was reading it, I was thinking about how big of a jump it felt like for me for us to release this podcast. Yeah. And I know how hard that was for me. It's difficult to put yourself out there. And mine was like, why would people want to listen to anything I have to say? Right. Like, healthy doubt in my head. As totally. in, yeah, it is funny. And I think it's confidence in being like, well, we like it. And I think that's been a beautiful learning, at least for me. And sorry to anyone listening who has not enjoyed a second of it. But <laughs> I will say that it was like a good lesson in being like, I like it, you like it. So let's just do it. And that has proven to be a really fun and exciting time. And we've had people just engage with us about doing this and it's been so lovely. And so I love his lesson in be self-aware about what you like and then kind of own it. Yeah. That's Go cool. where you're drawn. Yeah. For sure. And like spend more time paying attention to what you do and don't like. Yeah. Maybe that's a little omen I can use in my three month journey. I was just talking to my friend the other day about like, being really active and paying attention to while we're in Paris. She keeps talking about how much she loves her life here. And I was like, what playing an active role in your own life of what you really like in your day to day routine here versus what you don't like in your routine in New York or vice versa, like what you're missing in New York and what you like here can be so influential in how you design your everyday life. So for yeah. you, I feel like that's useful too. I think we should start uh, what I like journal where you and I, I love like, that. have to like write down one to three things you liked about your day. I love that. I love this recommendation. And I guess people listening in, if you do decide to keep a what I like journal, what brings you joy or what did I like about today or about things around me or about myself, let us know what you're putting down. I actually kind of love that. Same. Yay, Rick Rubin. I'll be dialing in on that. And so we flipped the script and I think that's really the conclusion. I did have some feedback from someone who I think wants to be our producer who has oh. sent us joint text messages with great ideas. Keep them coming. Leonie Swan, you know who you are. Um, <laughs> I knew it was your mom. She suggested that we should finish the podcast by trading off fun facts about like Australia and America to each other mm. to really like help emphasize how we're global. I love that. I've wondered, do you have one already? My one's actually not that fun. So maybe we'll, I'll throw to you. What's your fun fact? You probably already know this, but did you know in America, in Australia, when you sing happy birthday and you get to the end of happy birthday, you go into the hip hip hoorays? Yeah. We go hip hip hooray. <laughs> hip hip hooray. Yeah, you don't do that here. We do not do that in America at all. Do you want to know how I found that out? At my first client in like an awkward, you know how you get the cake and you do it at lunch? Yeah. So everyone like does the singing and I sound like a dying animal. And unbeknownst to me, it just stops. So I go, hip, hip. <laughs> everyone just looks at me. Well, the fact goes both ways because the fact is Australia has it. And the other fact for Australians is America doesn't. Yeah. All right. Well, I miss you. I miss you too. I think there's going to be one more of these and then we're going on a summer hiatus. So I guess if people like it, tell us that you want us to keep doing this in three months time and we'll formalize it, make it more structured, have a day that it's going to drop that you can rely on and we will start working the social media. But we hope you like listening. We're loving people engaging and just I'm loving talking to you, Cal. So that's really where it comes down to. Me too. What it comes down to, where it comes down to, who knows? But that's the long goodbye. Bye, people. It's starting to become my brand, I guess. <laughs>